happen. It always happens in the springtime. <laughs> Cuffing season. It happened in the spring of the year. At the time when kings go out to battle, this dude, David, sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Look at somebody next to you and say, don't get left behind. Come on, tell somebody, tell somebody. Tell, it's never, nothing good happens when you get left behind. Then it happened. What happened? It happened. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed. Why are you waking up in the middle of the night? Stay in bed. Nothing good happens in the middle of the night. He walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof, he saw a woman, not his woman, not his wife, a woman bathing, and she was very beautiful to behold. First mistake, he woke up in the middle of the night. Second mistake, he got out of bed. Here comes the third mistake. So David sent and inquired, why are you asking questions about stuff that ain't got nothing to do with you? So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? You got to get you some good friends that's going to tell you like it is. The wife, not your wife, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Now, I did this on purpose. I stopped my opening passage at verse 3. If you read on to verse 4, you'll find out what happened. You can only imagine what happened. Went straight scandal on him and sent her home that night. And yeah, we're going to have fun today. You ready, Antoinette? It's going to be a good day. Come on, let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We are thankful for your, that the spirit of the Lord is here. God, we will not take for granted the fact that you're willing to meet with us. God, to abide with us, to speak to us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to transform our lives. Father God, we pray in these moments that you have together that you'd speak in a way that only you can. Take us one step closer to the destiny that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. And amen. I have, uh, I've mentioned before that uh, I like to move often. I, uh, I love real estate. Everybody just has kind of their passion. Ministry is one of those things that's just overwhelming. There's always something to be focused on, always something to do. So I just get me little distractions that kind of get my attention off of work. And, and, and real estate is one of those distractions. I, I, I freak my wife out because I am on the Zillow app all the time, just looking at houses. We just moved six months ago and I'm still on the app, just looking at houses. And she's like, I'm not moving. Again, I didn't say we were moving. I'm just trying to see where the market is and what's going on and what options are out there. I'll fly to a different city and I'm preaching somewhere and I'm on the Zillow app. I wonder what cost of living is like in, in Lakeland, Florida. Let's see what kind of real estate they have here and all that other good stuff. And, and so what happens is because I love real estate so much and people know, people start coming to me when they're looking for houses. They're like, I talked to my realtor. They can't find me anything. Steven, can you find me something? I, I know you you know what is going on. So here's your real estate tip of the day that you did not come to church for, but I'll give it to you anyway. We are turning slightly back into a buyer's market. We're coming out of 18 months of insanity. Where, I mean, houses had 10 offers on it before it even hit the market. You are like $100,000 over asking, won't appraise, got to come with cash. I mean, complete craziness, which if you were a seller in the last 18 months, open the windows of heaven and let it rain. You, you were living a good life. And come on, don't, don't raise your hand, but if you're a seller in the room, you know you were not even apologizing. Say, so listen, it is what it is. Now, if you were a buyer, you're like, I ain't a buyer no more. I'm going to wait another 12 months. Now, over the last 18 months, it wasn't a phenomenal investing season for real estate because everything was kind of can I say this and not get in trouble? Well, y'all sellers won't hate you. It was overpriced. It, it was like, that's not what that's worth. And I know property appreciates, but that's not what that's worth. 
And if as an investor, if you buy something above its value and you're trying to make it an investment, and then when the market cools off, the value goes back to where it was, it's a bad investment. Matter of fact, if you're calculating your net worth, you would have done better to do nothing than to purchase something at a price it wasn't valued, have it drop back where it is valued over the next 18 to 24 months, and then lose your value in that property. Now, they always say, don't, 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 don't get buyer's fever. Don't, don't get into a place where this is the only house in the world. This is my, by the way, you know there's no such thing as a dream house? Because as soon as you get your dream house, what happens? The dream changes. <laughs> it was my dream house. Now I live here. And now I'm dreaming a whole day. So we get all caught up in something I've got to have. And then we end up paying more for something than it's worth. It's not a matter of I can't afford it. It's a matter of this is not worth that. As it is with real estate. So it is with greatness. Greatness will demand a price that is not worth paying. Now, here's what you've got to understand. There is a price to be paid to maximize your potential. There's a price to be paid to maximize your faith, Sheldon. A lot of people don't know this. Jesus talks about it all the time. Take up your cross and follow me. Romans chapter 12 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would lay your life down as a living sacrifice. What's a sacrifice? It's a denial. It's a, I can't have. There's a price to pay to maximizing your relationship with God. I can't do whatever my flesh wants to do and maximize relationship with God. Come on now. There's a price to pay for a great marriage, for a great career, for great finances, for great children, on and on and on and on and on. However, when it comes to maximizing your potential, there are certain things that greatness will demand that it's just not worth paying. And before you start the journey of building an amazing career, if you don't have healthy boundaries... And you don't have set in your heart, this is what I am not willing to do. I will go this far and I will go no. Come on now. If before you have those children, you haven't made up in your mind, we're going to be great parents, but our world will not revolve around them. If you don't set boundaries, you will find yourself paying a price that that accomplishment was never worth. Can I talk just for a second? This is the last message and stop waiting for permission. So we're going to have some fun today. And here's what happens. We blame the person that set the price. So we blame our employer. We blame AAU. Come on now. We blame our in-laws. We blame this. We blame that. And here's the deal. Only you can enforce your boundaries. And only you can determine what you are willing to pay for whatever vision you have set in front of you. And you can't blame somebody for setting a price. Come on, back to the sellers. You're going to have to pay it. I just said it. Now, if you don't want it, I'll find somebody. Tracking with me. So we've talked for the last five weeks. There's greatness in you. There's genius in you. God has an amazing future for you. There's so much that he desires to do through your life. But here's the deal. If this was a line, this is the line that, of what God desires for you. And beyond that, the enemy has more than he offers. And you've got to determine, am I going to stop? Even though I'm leaving potential on the table. But this is what God has for me. And if I step into any more, I'll have to neglect my health or my marriage or my kids or my integrity or something else. I, I, I say this every week. I love the scriptures and I love movies and I love Hollywood and all that other good stuff. But Hollywood ain't got nothing on the Bible. 
I mean, I think honestly, Hollywood said, well, let's just take everything that life is and try to sensationalize it and put it on TV. But before there was Hollywood, there was 2 Samuel chapter 11 with two time and David. I don't even know how you call him two-time and David because it was like his seventh wife. But this was, this was the one that was not his wife. And as we read in the passage, David had sent his army out to war. And there's this big phrase, when kings go out to war, David stayed home. Some of the dumbest decisions you will ever make in your life are because you decided to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Come on, look straight ahead. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the person next to you. We're not even referring to spring break of 08. This has nothing, nothing to do with anything. We're just preaching the word, just preaching the word. Just says when kings go out to war, David stayed home. First mistake. Don't stay home when there's purpose outside for you. Then it said David woke up in the middle of the night. Why did David wake up in the middle of the night? I'll tell you in a few minutes why David couldn't sleep peacefully all night long. He goes up on this roof and, and he sees Bathsheba. And, and I, there's just certain things that we don't talk about. Why are you taking a bath outside? Like Everybody can't talk about David, little two-time and trifling, cheating David. They sent somebody to inquire of Bathsheba, not to kidnap her, not to snap, to inquire. You know what inquire means? Hey, are you interested? Y'all didn't know this part of the Bible, huh? Bathsheba said, my husband's a general, but he's a king. Moving on up. And Bathsheba responded to the in. Inquiry, stuff that we don't dive into scripture. She comes up to the king and there's no record of Bathsheba saying, no, 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 I'm married. Huh? Things we don't talk about. <laughs> so they go and they have their sin and Y'all having fun with the Bible today, aren't you? And sin did what sin does. It cost you more than you ever planned on paying. David was like, I'm having a bad night, making a mistake, going about my life. No, that mistake resulted in a pregnancy. So now I got to cover it up. So I try to get her husband to come home, read it. It is, I mean, it's better than any movie that you could ever read. David's like, well, if I get her husband to come home and then they do married folk stuff, then maybe nobody's going to notice that that kid got big ears like me and blue eyes and he, they're not going to notice the difference. And he tries to cover it up. But the problem is Uriah was an honorable man. Nothing like an honorable person to mess up your plans. <laughs> so Uriah comes home and he says, no, I can't go home and have comfort with my wife when my comrades are dying on a battlefield. I refuse to sleep in a comfortable bed when they're out there sleeping on rocks. So he spent the night, went and messed all, messed all of David's plans up. And David had to create a ruse to get Uriah murdered on the battlefield so that his dirt won't be found out. Long story short, his dirt got found out. It always gets found out. Now here's where I'm going and Here's what we often miss if you've heard this story before. The child ended up dying. David's heart was broken. And this was a passage where, where David wrote a broken and a contrite heart. God, you cannot despise. And in his brokenness and humility, David repented. And as God always does with repentance, God forgave. God welcomed him back. God blessed him. Hear me. There is no sin that you have gone too far that you can't come back from. There is no mistake that is unforgivable, unforgivable by God. There is always a path back through the blood of Jesus. But we get to the end of David's life. And David said, God, the one dream I had was to build your temple. 
God, I live in this amazing palace. Your tabernacle is still in these tents. Let me build your, it's my, somebody say my only dream. It's, it's my crown jewel. It is my purpose. Here's what God said. You don't get to fulfill your purpose because there's blood on your hands. Now, when I read this, I'm like, okay, hold on, God, that's not fair. Because you sent him to kill Goliath. You made him a warrior. You, you, and, and Holy Spirit said, no, 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 no. It's not the sanctioned blood that disqualified him. It wasn't the standing up for God and standing up for his country that disqualified him. It was Uriah's blood. It was the murder that disqualified David from fulfilling what was on his heart from the beginning to do. Now, when David woke up in the middle of the night and looked down and saw that trifling woman, because it takes two to tango. Do you think David thought this one decision is going to cost me the greatest thing I ever desire to do here on earth. Do you think that thought crossed his mind? Do you think David said, you know, this one night is going to be worth giving up all the dreams that I had and everything that I was building for? So here, here's, here's questions that, that, that people don't ask their Bible, but I ask my Bible. I just act like I'm sitting in the room with David. And I'm like, dude, Why? Boy, she was bad. No, not that. <laughs> Why didn't you go to war? Because if you had gone to war where you were supposed to be, you'd have never woken up. You would have never been on the roof. You would have never looked down. You would have never been in that predicament. Why weren't you where you were supposed to be? Can I preach for a second? I don't know. We're going to have to wait till we get to heaven to hear from David. And I don't know if he's going to want to talk about it in heaven. Like, listen, okay, I'm forgiven. It's the past. Let's not bring up the past. Dude, it's in the Bible, okay? I mean, God brought it up. But I think if David was being honest and he said, why did I not go to war? Let me tell you why. I was tired. Why were you out of position, David? Because I was exhausted. I was tired of fighting. I was tired of running after my purpose. And I needed a rest. Now, I set this whole message up. Was David so tired because he was running after the purpose that God had for him? Or was David so tired because he was running after purpose and running after status? He was running after purpose and he was running after perception. Was David so tired because he was walking in the will of God? Or was David so tired because he looked at what happened to Saul and he said, that won't happen to me. And he started running at a pace that was unhealthy. I think it's the latter. I, I don't think David was running at what they call the pace of grace. I don't think David was trying to accomplish what God called him to accomplish. I think David was trying to accomplish what God called him to accomplish and also what David wanted to accomplish. I mean, let's be real. What are you going to do when you're just a foot soldier and you're not yet a king and they've made an entire billboard chart topping song about you? David has killed his tens of thousands and the king can only kill a thousand. I mean, what's going to happen to your head? You just a foot soldier, like you call me ten thousand Dave. That's what you call me. And watch this. It's you know people. How do you know the Bible is real? How do you know it's not fictitious and not made up? Here's how you know. Because if I were to make up a book, I wouldn't put all these people's dirt in that book. It would be the most perfect. Everybody's holy. Everybody's righteous. Nobody's made a mistake. I mean, every great man and woman of God, all you hear about dirt, 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 dirt. Here's what the Bible says about David. He was a horrible father. Great king. Great warrior. Not a great father. Here's what it says about his fathering. He said he never even asked his sons what they were doing. 
It didn't say he spanked them, he disciplined them, he corrected them, he raised them. He, 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 he was to the point where he didn't even ask them, what'd you do at school today? How, how, how's, how's warrior practice going? <laughs> I don't know what they do back then. A, you jousting. <laughs> and what happened was, David was paying more for greatness than God asked him to pay. It depleted his energy. And just hear me, when you're exhausted, you ain't thinking straight. You ever been so exhausted? Come on, can we get back to the text? Where you can't even sleep? Because there's an exhaustion that's physical, but there's an exhaustion that's mental. Where I'm not physically exhausted. I've just got so many problems that I'm fixing in my head. I'm turning them over and over and over and over again. And I wake up in the middle of the night, go to the rooftop to clear my head. Here's what the Bible says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Now, here's the thing. When we read that, we read, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but go to hell? It's not what it said. It says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his? Do you know what your soul is, Columbia? It's your mind your will, and your emotions. So let's read it again. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but yet to lose his mental health? To lose vision for tomorrow and to not even be able to hold on to your joy anymore. How do I know that I'm paying too much for the greatness that I'm running after when you're running after it so hard that you've lost your joy? Come on now. When you're running after it so hard, you're overwhelmed by mental torment of fear and failure. And what if I'm not good enough? And what if... Slow down. You're running at a pace that God never called you to run at. This is the last message. Stop waiting for permission. And I, I, wanted, I wanted it to be like all up and exciting and inspiring and all that. So I'm going to end the message with telling you go buy a new car after the message. But uh, we'll... <laughs> We'll build you up at the end. <laughs> but there's a pace that's not worth paying. There's, there's a, if you want to be great, you've got to hustle like this. No, no, no. If you don't want to finish, hustle like that. It's just, just thought. And I'm, I'm, I'm a young pastor, and, and, and I've got decades ahead of me. And what God is doing and has done through Union Church is mind-blowing. You know what I keep telling myself? They don't give out trophies for fast starts. Come on now, think about it. You, 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 ever, you ever watch a track tournament and the first person out the blocks gets the goal? No, no, no. They wait until you. Come on. You, you ever seen somebody start strong and trip over a hurdle? You ever seen someone that didn't have a great start but about 30 yards in, boom! Just leap. Come on now. Well, well done, thy good and faithful. Not well started. Well, well done, thy good. Now, here's, here's what some people say when, when fear still has a foothold in their lives. You see, that's why I'm not going after anything great. You out here trying to be rich, and you out here trying to have a great career, and you out here trying to build all this other kind of stuff, and that's why you lost your marriage, and that's why you had a heart attack, and that's why you lost this, and that's why you lost that. You know what? You never had a heart attack sitting on your couch for 30 years now, did you? Actually, you can. <laughs> no, seriously. We look at the train wrecks of other people's lives, and here's what I say. We misdiagnose the train wreck. And we say, you see, they ended up there because they took that risk. I will never take that risk. And we sit back. I was thinking about this. I was driving over to church today. Do you know there's two times on a highway you'll get a ticket? And we only think about one. You'll get a ticket if you drive too fast. You know you get a ticket if you drive too slow? Why? Because your slow pace is jeopardizing the lives of people around you that are going at the pace that they're supposed to be going at. 
So we can't have you going so slow that everybody around you is in danger, but you also can't be going at breakneck speed to end. There is a speed limit for a purpose and you've got to, does that make sense? So if I say, hey, I don't want to run out after purpose because I've had maybe parents who neglected their kids and I'm not going to make that same mistake or, or somebody who lost their health because they worked too hard. I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to move at a pace that's so slow that my kids never see what the hand of God looks like on somebody's life. And my coworkers don't know what it means to be anointed and blessed by Almighty God. And I'm jeopardizing people around me because of my slow pace of faith. So it's not, I'm not going to try anything because I might ruin my life. It's let me find that pace of grace and go at that pace. Y'all doing well? Three thoughts, three thoughts. Write this down. First one is this. Make God smile. Make it your mission and make God smile. Whenever my pursuit of greatness does not allow room for protected time with God, I'm paying a price that greatness is not worth. Whenever my life pace does not allow room, not for, oh, can I get in trouble? Not for turning your Bible reading app on as you speed to work and wave, you're number one. You are listening to 2 Timothy while you're screaming at that slow car next to you. As long as your pace of parenting, marriage, career is too fast for you to have protected time with God, the pace that you're going at is too fast. Look what the Bible says in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And when he had removed him, who's him, Columbia? Saul, the first king of Israel. Saul turned his back on God. God removed the first king. When he removes him, Saul, he raised up for them David as king. David didn't become king because of ambition. David became king because it was God's plan for his life. David as king to whom also he gave a testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse. Watch this. A man after my own heart who will do all my will. Man, homie, you were the man, homie. <laughs> David started off as a man after God's own heart. How did David become a man after God's own heart? He was a shepherd with no humans to talk to. He was out there watching sheep with his heart, just him and God. Do you imagine how much quiet time David had with God? Yeah, well, four conversations with the sheep. You figure out that ain't going to work. Might as well talk to God. And it was in those moments in God's presence that he wrote psalm after psalm, song after song. God, I declare you're amazing, you're awesome as a deer. Do you know what David wrote as a deer pendant for streams of water? He was probably looking at a deer, panting for streams of water. And he saw God in nature. What happened? He became king and kings have responsibilities. Kings have wars to fight. Kings, kings have meetings. Kings, kings have taxes to collect. Kings, kings have stuff to do. Kings don't have time to just sit around and strum a harp. Do you know the biggest battle as a pastor? It's not, it's not what to preach. It's not too many people to meet with. It's having protected. Do you know what the biggest battle for a mom of four is? Do you know the biggest battle for a master's degree student? Do you know the biggest battle for every human being, no matter what your responsibility is, is carving out protected time for the presence of God. I told this story before, but in the middle of the pandemic, we were live streaming services online. Well, pre-recorded live streaming services online. So I was out playing golf on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. I told this story before and, and I was about 204 yards out, had my four iron stroke that thing, perfect draw out to end path, four feet from the flag, pin high. It was like one of those, you know, if a tree falls in the wood and there's no one to hear it, did it actually make a sound? If you hit a perfect golf shot on a Sunday morning when you're supposed to be in church and nobody saw it, did it actually happen? And I remember sitting there, and it was just, I mean, just the guilt was hilarious. I pull out my phone, like, oh, can't tell them. I'm supposed to be in church. Can't tell them. Nope, nope. Oh, I put my phone. And, and I'm telling you, 
this still small voice. I heard the Holy Spirit say, I saw that. And I'm smiling. And it, it, it started this conversation between me and God. Where he said, Stephen, you don't understand. I find joy by you finding joy. He said, you know what brings me more joy than you having joy? Just the joy of you being in my presence. You, you ever come home to your kids and see their face light up? This is before they realize what television is. Now I walk in the house and like, Daddy, can you pass me the remote? Come on, we're getting ready to go Thanksgiving. Maybe you actually like your family. You know what it's like when you walk in and you see that cousin you haven't seen in a while, that niece, that nephew, and it's... Do you know that God's face lights up the exact same way? When you go into your closet on a Monday morning, open up your Bible, and you say, God, speak to me. And he's like, I, I've been waiting for you. I, I'm God. I don't get to sleep. So I was just staring at you while you slept, waiting for you to wake up. I know it sounds creepy, but I'm God, so I can't be creepy. I'm just waiting. He finds joy. He finds the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, it says this, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no... Okay, let's have fun. How many people think murder is a sin? It's not a rhetorical question. We were looking around. Security is looking around. Your hand is not up. Our officers would like to have a conversation with you. Not after service, right now. Right now. How many people think lying is a sin? How many people think stealing Uriah's wife that ain't your wife is a sin? How many people think working seven days a week is a sin? Because it's on the same list. The same list. You know the top ten list? Don't do these. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't make an idol. Don't work seven days a week. What does Sabbath mean? It doesn't just mean go to church. It's part of it. But what it means is stop doing anything that brings you an income. Rest. By the way, it's not just God being uptight. He knows how he made you. And your greatest creativity does not come when you're mentally overwhelmed. It's actually margin in your life that is going to come up with new ideas, new products, new initiatives. New, you problem solve better when you walk away from the problem. God is saying, I need you to take six days where you go out. By the way, it's so funny how we mess up scripture. So in America, we have a five-day work week. So we think if I got to work on Saturday, that's evil. Well, the Bible said work six days. So you take that up with your American culture. <laughs> we get mad when we have to work on Saturday, but we'll work seven days. And I get it. There's medical professionals and law enforcement and all that other good stuff. Not everybody can take Sunday off. I don't know if you guys know this. I don't take Sundays off. <laughs> is Sunday the Sabbath? Well, if it is, I'm in trouble because I work on Sundays. So my Sabbath is Friday. I don't check emails. I don't sermon prep. Staff knows. I, if you call me, got two options. Church is on fire. Or you just call to see how I'm doing. Because not Because what God understands is, if we don't rest, if we don't spend time in his presence, we become emotionally and spiritually depleted. And then we make decisions that cost us effectiveness instead of make us more. His Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their... Sh what have you got in your mind next time you're at the DMV waiting that you're renewing your strength? 
There's nothing about waiting. Think about waiting. DMV, traffic, you're waiting on UPS to deliver something. We hate waiting. But yet Isaiah says waiting is a great thing. Because that's when your strength is renewed. You shall mount up with wings like eagles. If I had time to preach, Julia, I'd tell people that when we have the presence of God in our life, we fly over our problems instead of walk through them. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not. They that wait on the Lord shall bring. Write this down. Make your family smile. I'm, 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 I'm going to teach you how to, how to build a great life and not kill yourself in the process. I'm going to run at a pace that I can run and keep God smiling. Come on out. And then I'm going to run at a pace that I can maximize potential and keep my family smiling. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be Come on, preach me, Columbia. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Just fun stuff I see in scripture. Here is God in the garden. Somebody say, in the garden. Come on, preach with me. God in the garden with Adam. And God says, this is not good. God made Adam, God made the garden. On the seventh day, he said, everything I made is good. But he looks at Adam. He said, this is not good. I don't know if Adam had a pair of scissors and he was running around and God's like, if I leave him without a wife, something's going to happen to him. This, he going to hurt himself. Woo! I love scripture. Y'all ready for this? But he wasn't alone. God was there. Huh. God was there and God being there was not. Long as I got King Jesus, long, long, long. No, you need somebody else. Come on up. We were made in the image of God. God is a triune God. One God, God the Father, God the Son. God, the Holy Spirit, God, God, family, Jesus has a father. The father has a son. Holy Spirit got homies. When they make decisions, they say, let us, they talk to each other, which is weird. I don't even understand it because they are each other. You figure that out. Come on now. God has a connect group. How come you think you don't need one? I'm going to build y'all up at the end. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's, it's, it's pastoral right now. but it, Can I make a bold statement? Not everybody is called to be married. But most people are. What happens is, Sheldon, save me. You ever preach yourself into a corner? You're just like, this is a tight one. We naturally gravitate to areas of success. And if I'm really good at making money, but I'm not really good at making friends, what am I going to focus on? Making money. And I'm good at it, so I'm going to make a... Tracking with me. But what I'm choosing to do is going after the path of least resistance. Because I don't got to deal with my daddy issues to make more money. I just need to make more. Make sense? I, I don't have to let God heal my past so I can trust another human with my heart. It's easier just to be successful in the area of life that doesn't require me to maximize my relationship with And somebody lied and told me I got to work hard for a degree. But they didn't tell me I have to work just as hard for relationships. So the second a relationship doesn't come easy, I feel like something is wrong. Now, if I were to ask you what's more important, money or people? 
unless you're crazy. People, what are you willing to endure more pain for? Get trouble shouting. I don't care though. How many, how many motivational speakers are there out there talking about push, push through the pain? You pain, entrepreneurship is pain. Push through. You know what I mean? How many motivational speakers are out there? Friendship is pain. Friendship is pain. Push through the pain so you can have friends. None. You know why? Because I don't sell. Tracking with me? We, we, we live in a culture where I believe that my generation thinks that friendship is optional. That I can get to where I want to go and I don't need friends. Okay. When the Bible says, woe to the man or the woman who is walking by themselves because when there's an economic downturn, I'm sorry, when he falls, come on, there's 365 days a year. I'm going to get in trouble. You know how many of them I enjoy being the pastor of this church? Watch it now. Watch it now. My, my staff is like, uh-oh, there's two, two, no, the pastor, pastor. I love being a senior pastor of this church probably like 355 days. Yeah, I love, I love, come now, come now. Y'all worried. Y'all, they were worried. I love what I do most of the time. There's about 10 days. Those days you've got to bury somebody who was long before their time. First funeral I ever did was an 18-year-old. That, that ain't easy. You go home and you're just like, ah, this is overwhelming. And if you don't have a friend to call, you don't have somebody to say, keep going. It's worth it. I think more people have quit on the call of God in their life because they've been running after it alone without somebody to pick them up on their lowest moments. Last thing is this. Don't forget to smile. Don't forget to smile. How, 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 do, how, do I, how do I maximize my potential and not ruin my health, my faith, my marriage, my kids, my future? Run with all that you have as long as you can keep these in order. Make God smile. Make your family smile. And don't forget to smile yourself. I had a, I had a, I had a scary moment. It was actually... 18 months, two years ago, sitting in my house after church, and you know, we pastor's house, it's like Big Mama's house, everybody comes over, he's eating all that. And my dad's there, and he looks at me and he says, Stephen, I don't see you smiling anymore. And it scared me. Now, to be fair, I just come through a pandemic, pretty close to a civil war. <laughs> like, y'all were tripping, America was tripping, it was just. It was a lot. Overwhelming. I lost my smile. I lost my joy. And when you lose your joy, 50 pounds feels like 100. When you lose your joy, a two-hour meeting feels like eight hours long. Because the Bible says it's the joy of the Lord that is your. So go ahead, play. So how do I, how do I, how do I get my joy back? Philippians chapter four, verse 12 says this. I know how to live on almost nothing. How many people you can say that? I, I could, listen, I could duct tape a microwave. I know how to, I know how to, I've, I'm so tired of these kids with their little 15 channels of cable and Netflix and Disney Plus. They don't know how to take a hanger, rip the antenna out the television, twist that hanger up, put that thing in there. I'm going to get this football game. Play with me. 
Some of y'all are like, Pastor, that ain't enough. I know how to get my neighbor's cable. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking. <laughs> We're going to stop with the hanger. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether it be a full stomach or hunger, plenty or want. It's one of my favorite verses. Here's why. Because we only read half the verse, even though it's two-sided verse. Paul said, I have learned how to hustle. Oh, I know how to struggle. I know how to have student loans and still pay my bills. I know, I, I know, I know. I, but that's not just what he said. He said, I know what it's like to have more money than I have bills too. He said, I know what it's like to not have bills. He said, I've learned to be abased and I've learned to abound. I, and here's what we've done. We've learned how to survive. My mama taught me how to survive. My daddy taught me how to survive. My, my great granddad taught me. We, we we're a family of survivors but nobody taught me how to thrive. Nobody taught me that when I go outside and I observe nature, that it does something to my soul. Nobody taught me that when I leave Maryland, because ain't no beaches in Maryland, and I go lay on a beach somewhere else where the water is blue or clear, not brown, or green, like it is around here. That it does something to and, and, and yeah, Christians are jacked up. We're, we're so limited that we now condemn any pleasures of life. Who would need to wear that? Drive that? Travel to that? Do you know how many orphans could be fed on that trip to Hawaii? James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift, it only comes from one place. It's from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. It is, I'm, I'm being very pastoral today, so it's all good. You know what I believe the value of possessions are? Or the value of vacations and trips and enjoying it. I believe that those things are anesthesia for the pain of pursuing your purpose. And if you run after purpose and you don't maximize the replenishers around you that God's given you, you will find yourself exhausted. It's not cute to get to the end of the year and still have all your vacation hours. Come on now. Ah, PTO, who needs PTO? I'm getting stuff done. Make sense? Track it. I'm over time. Keep going, y'all. Go ahead. You track what I'm saying. And what we do is we don't realize how we're made by God. Some people enjoy experiences. Some people enjoy stuff. And those of us who like stuff, we condemn the experience folks. Who would go sit in the woods for three days when there's a Hilton over there? What is wrong with you? I ain't a camping guy, okay? You ain't. If I'm in the woods, she kicked me out, okay? That's what happened. That's, that's what happened. <laughs> but then us experience folks, who would need Mind your business. Keep God first. Don't jeopardize your kid's college fund just to go to Disney. That's not wise. But do some things that put a smile on your face and replenish you. And get some pictures in your phone that when you're scrolling through a year later, you're like, man, I remember when we went there. It was so hot. But we had fun. That was... Last thought. What happens if we get to heaven? And God says, how much of my creation did you see? 
Wait, you stayed in the DMV your whole life? But I made Paraguay for you to enjoy. And Cape Town, you didn't see the cliffs? And, and the mountains? And what if he expects us to maximize this earth that he's placed us on? And not just, I love Jesus every day of my life. Could it be that we're missing the things around us that God's given to replenish us? And then we're confused when we're exhausted and not ourselves. That wasn't a shouting message, but I hoped it helped somebody. Did it help you? Come on now. Father God, we're grateful. God, we're thankful. God, that there is purpose on our lives. God, as we've unpacked this series, God, I'm praying that you awoken greatness and genius and vision in our hearts. But God, I'm praying that you would help us pursue it in a healthy way, at a healthy pace, keeping you first, maximizing the relationships in our lives, enjoying the things that you've given us to enjoy. Just when you're sitting with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time to make this message personal to you. The first priority of all of our lives is one thing, to make God smile. And maybe you don't know what makes God smile, but let me help you out. It's not perfection. It's not you doing everything right. It's you desiring to be with him. So if you're in this room right now, you're watching online, you're in Columbia or Flowers or UBC, and if you're to be honest, you would say, my relationship with God has not been number one in my life. I don't even know if I have a relationship with God. I don't even know where to start. Well, you start today. You start right now. Simply by asking him to come into your heart. If that's you, you say, Pastor, I can't say my relationship is where it needs to be with God, but I want it to be. Pray this prayer with me, and you're not praying to me, but you're praying to God. He's right there in this room with you. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for thinking about me and removing any barrier that can keep me from you. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all my sin, all my mistakes can be erased. Right now, I give you my life. I surrender to you. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, can you celebrate for every single person?